You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Again? Now, I suppose you had those people follow me again. Fine. Hey, this is Jimmy Farrell from Monty and the Farrell, and I want to thank all our subscribers. We have now passed 14,000 on our YouTube channel, but I want to ask our subscribers to take the next step for us and become a full-fledged member of Monty and the Farrell. Yeah, that's right, folks. There's three different levels to choose from. There's free shirts. There's free autographs. Just check it out and become a member of Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh. Later. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh, only seen here out of Indie Music TV at the board. Our producer, 
Spidey, Jared, how are you, bud? I'm good. How are you guys doing? It's always good seeing you, man. Yeah, you know why you're good, right, Spidey? Because your team's not on television right now giving you agita. That's why you're a football team. That is his team. He watches them. He's a giant I'm fan. I'm a giant, He's yeah. smarter than we are. Uh, He's smarter than we are. You know, we got to get you on camera once in a while, Jared. People have to see how good-looking you are, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That'd be cool, you know actually. Many, we should get a camera lady, back here. The, the first lady of wrestling would be very, you know very impressed by you. how many wrestling chicks would be Maria? his email and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. That would, oh, yeah. That'd be rough. you get stalked, Jared, you would, you by would wrestling get chicks. by wrestling chicks. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be kind of cool, honestly. It'd be kind of cool? Like, yeah, it'd be cool. interesting. <laughs> would you play with them? Is that what you do? You, you, you'd string Shout them out to everybody in break the room. Break their heart. We've we'll got see. ESO created. Chris Lee in the Bruce. house. Chris, how are you, buddy? Got your message, Bruce. Chris sent us a wonderful Christmas gift. He did? Mm-hmm. What did he send us? I'm not going to tell you how much, but he sent us ESO Chris, in the house. Chris, you send money to me. One of I don't our sponsors, First Lady of Wrestling. <laughs> First Lady, we got to introduce you to uh, Jared. What He's you, a good-looking what guy. What are you doing? Phil in the house. RJ Hudson. Stingers. Jason, how are you? Jay Will, good to see you. Um... Jay Will says Spider-Man, 1977 TV series. Yeah. Is that the cartoon of the right? There was a live-action one. That it ran was for so one bad. Season. Remember when Boy, they threw the net that? on people? It was... I tell you what, they scrambled to get it right with the Bill Bixby show the year, the year after. Or maybe it was the exact same year. It's right at that time. The original Incredible Hulk with Bill yeah, Bixby. Yeah, it's yeah. right at that same time. That was such a great show. Why did they tank so badly on Spidey? You think it was the pajamas he wore? Because you got, they, <laughs> could get away, they could get away with the Hulk. Kind of found a way to get away with they it. They could get true. away with it, and they couldn't get away with it with Spider-Man. Yeah, right? they just um, couldn't. And they, it looked like he was wearing pajamas. It was no good. It looks like he was <laughs> wearing pajamas. <laughs> it was, no it good. was the net that was worse, dude. The yeah, net was the, the bigger right, thing right, that was the, terrible. It looked like a fisherman's But, you know, back shit. then, I was, like, pumped about it for a while. Of course I was. Dude, what about the biggest hyped show ever that petered out quickly? Battlestar Galactica. I hated that show, dude. But do you know, you didn't like Star Wars? Star Wars, I like. Okay, so coming off that thing from Star Wars, when you started to see the advertisements for Battlestar Galactica, this was going to be a regular show every week. I was like, yeah! Dude, I like Buck Rogers much better. Did I ever tell you the story of Buck Rogers? No. We went to a sci-fi convention, me and McIntyre, SOS Mackin. What's up, Scotty? We went to a convention together. Cheap shout-out. Yeah, very cheap shout-out. We went to a convention together. We were really there to see some other people from television, you know. But we walked past, and there's Gil Gerard, Buck Rogers, right? yeah. Not nice. Wait. Wait for it, okay? There were some real famous sci-fi people there. We had Doctor. We had this was great. We had no nothing could be like the Tony Atlas one. We had Doctor Smith there, the original from Lost in Space. We had Mrs. Robinson from Lost in Space. There was a lot of great fame. David Hedison, who not only did Voice at the Bottom, he did the original The Fly. Was in soap operas. Ladies love him. There's all these long lines, right? Uh And they're all charging, unlike you, AJ Lee. Reasonable prices. Very reasonable. Yeah, 20 right? bucks. Yeah, something That's like that, yeah. right? All of a sudden, twice the price is Gil Gerard from Buck Rogers. You know what? You know well what's, deserved. You know, what Scott, you know what Scotty did? What? Scotty goes, hold on a second. He goes around the line, stares at him, and turns and says to me as loud as he can, All right, I seen him. We can go now. <laughs> the guy was charging a fortune. How it was much? like, get, get, a, get a hold of yourself there, Gil. Uh, it was like 50 bucks compared to 20 get bucks. Get a for like, hold of yourself, uh, Gil. It was, it was great, though. He's like, I've seen him. He's old. He's fat. We can go. I was like, wow, you just took a giant shit on Buck Rogers. Nicely done. 
Do you know what nicely you know what movie done? I want to see? I'm trying to find a bootleg copy of it, but I don't even have a DVD player anymore because it's like <laughs> it's no, obsolete. Well, like the record it's obsolete. Player. So, but, can you believe this? But um, how many mediums have we seen come and gone? Over the years. Phil says Battlestars had some hotties. Yes. Yes. Well, Phil, no wonder. That's no, why. But, did but, you think I liked Battle? I mean, you think I liked Battlestar? Well, no. Which Battle one Star- was Erin Gray in? That was in Buck Rogers. She was the hottest of them all. Oh, hell yeah. She was the hottest. No wonder you watch Buck exactly. Rogers. You watch for Erin Gray. And it's on 33, Me TV all the time. But they kind of cancel it now. They go. Me TV. By the way, to. T- what? I don't want to talk about Night Stalker, but every time I put that you show, leave that show alone. so bad. You leave that show but, alone. I'll start whistling. I love I love the Night Stalker. What's so bad about it? I'm trying to find the first Fantastic Four movie. Uh, you mean the like one that 19... Roger Corman did yes. in the 90s? I used to have a copy of that on did VHS. Did you really? I used to. How was that? I've never saw it. Okay. The Jessica Alba stuff. I love the Jessica Alba is, stuff. Is, but it falls short of the mark of what the FF could be. Right. If you're an FF yeah. comic book reader. How about you the know second how... group of FF? Even worse. That was horrendous. I just didn't like the that, whole change. It was just horrendous. Oddly enough, if you take the Roger Corman film, which never got released to the public, which was messed up, I got a bootleg copy of it because I was in the business. Right. I was in the business. The comic book business. <laughs> back in, I was in the business. <laughs> You're an I, expert. Yeah. I was working in the business of the comic books, and I, I came across a copy of it, so I got it. It's so cheesy, but here's the odd part. Compared to these big-budget album movies and the one that followed it, mm. it's way more enjoyable. It's way better. How is the thing looking at? It looks ridiculous. It's, so look like, like it's, it's a costume. It's, it's you a You remember those costume. cheesy Hulk movies yeah, yeah, that yeah, happened yeah. in yeah. the 80s? It's right. something like that. But it was actually so cheesy, it was enjoyable. And they actually got closer to the real intention of the Fantastic Four than these movies that came after. I'm still waiting for them. Jay to make Will says Super Crawl was the Fantastic best villain for what FF. Was that? Super Crawl was the best village uh, villain for FF. That's, well, you know, I mean, it, it seems uh, I always liked the Mole Man. My favorite villain of all Dr. time. Doctor Doom's the shit, though. Let's just yeah, face yeah it. but Doctor Doom. Why? I, I, I first appearance was in FF number four. For Spider Man, ah! it was Lizard Man for me. Oh, I love Lizard Electro, Man. Electro, Electro. And Mysterio. Okay. And the old school looking, like Electro with the stupid lightning mask. Mm-hmm. Like the, not the new fangled Electro. Right. For the Fantastic Four. Now, you're going you're gonna to yell at me because I'm not the expert you are. That doesn't matter. But I'm going to throw this in there. I what? know he's Hulk's enemy. Go but ahead. The Abomination. The Abomination was fucking... Was, <laughs> I fucking love Abomination's the Abomination. Abomination's my favorite Hulk opponent. You know, obviously Rhino was close by, but... Uh, Phil said he had a tweaky action figure. Now, Phil... A what? A tweaky action for Buck Rogers. <laughs> tweaky. There's no... <laughs> Phil, I can't even believe you Who played the voice of, of Tweaky? <laughs> no. You'll never guess. Glacier? Mel Blanc. No, Glacier. It wasn't Glacier. <laughs> Bobby Fulton? <laughs> He's going to get me. He's going to get me after this. All right, listen. Look, we got to get to we got to get to the, the real star of the show, Glacier, in a minute, Bob. Glacier was on burn notice, though. Big prop for that, man. Oh, we're going to ask him about that. Oh yeah, you okay. have to be a smart mark. I like that. Like, well, I, I like burn smart notice. mark. I like throwing those terminology. Smart doesn't even. Go I'm finally going to get this question out, and What's I'm going to ask Glacier it. But no, I'm going to ask him. I'm not going to tell people. Okay. But I want to know. Okay. okay. Steel Nation mourns legendary running back Franco Harris. Legendary Steelers running back Franco Harris has died. His death comes. Just days before the Steelers were to set or to retire his number ahead of the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. They didn't retire his number yet? This is only the third or the fourth. I can't be sure, but the Steelers don't retire numbers. 
the, I think he was going to be the third one retired or the fourth. I can't be positive. I, I was in shock when I read the that. The Steelers don't retire numbers. They very rarely do. And when you think about the great Steel Curtain team that they had, when they had half a dozen Hall of Famers, I think, on each side of the ball, that's crazy that they haven't retired numbers because I could rattle right off the top of my head a whole bunch, a whole bunch that should have their number retired. This one hurts. Being a kid in the 70s in New York was very strange to be a football fan when you were our age in the 70s, you know, 10, 12, 14. It was weird because it was even stranger for me because I lived in New Jersey. The Giants had moved to New Jersey. I was living in New Jersey. I was very confused that they weren't calling themselves New York. The Jets were dealing with Joe Namath's shadow at the point that I got really into football. Joe was done. And the Jets were awful. And the Giants were awful. I mean, putrid awful. But the Super Bowl was always very fascinating to this kid. And the first Super Bowl I really got to see was the Steelers beating the Vikings. And there was Franco Harris and, and, and Terry Bradshaw, you know, Swanted Stallworth and Mean Joe Green. and the This was my favorite team from my childhood. I adored the Pittsburgh Steelers. I used to love how they smashed the shit out of the Cowboys. I'm sorry if you like the Cowboys. I get it. If you well, like maybe, the maybe you should become a Steeler fan. Maybe the, I should. Then the Jets fans. Oh, right. Then the Jets I'm might win. 55 maybe the Jets years. Will win. Not you. You're not bringing any bad luck. It's going to be me. That's hilarious. Keep you keep betting on the Jets to uh, you know as you, as your money goes down the creek. All right, the Jets are winning this game. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you just were talking about how great Franco Harris was. Franco Harris was so great. Wait, wait. WWE Hall of Famer Coco Beware hospitalized. WWE Hall of Famer Coco Beware is currently in the hospital. <laughs> the news has announced the official Twitter account at Wrestling Connection. A branding and creative agency owned by Ted DiBiase Jr. That the list of where I don't know. Anyway, Coco Beware is in the hospital. We want. That's it. That's that's. If you're going to give Franco, you go Harris, on a ten minute rant on give, Franco Harris, and you give, got nothing to say about Coco Beware. If you're going to give Franco Harris a weep womp, what? Why should I give Coco Beware anything more? Well, let's keep Coco. I love Coco. Let's keep Coco and his family in his prayers during this holiday season. Why is it unspecified? We don't pray know. for Coco. Absolutely, but why is it unspecified? Because they what don't happened? want you to know what's wrong with them. Man, you in the wrong tune. They probably don't want. They probably don't want you to. <laughs> Farrow's referring to the point when he was singing uh, Pile Driver with Coco. Coco <laughs> told him, you're in the wrong yeah, tune. Right. Meanwhile, he don't know the words. He's like, what's the words to my own song? That was great. <laughs> to the right feel of better. the show. Feel better, Coco. To, to my right is the star of the show, Mr. Jimmy Farrow. Jimmy Farrow, along with his partner, Bart <laughs> Kriggs, make up the band Wisteria All. Wisteria All sings such great songs as In My Dreams, This Life Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain, and the Monty and the Farrow theme song, Riding High. Happy birthday, Bart, man. It's Happy birthday. birthday to Bart. I it's want everybody birthday. to wish. Please hit the Wisteria Hall like and subscribe on their YouTube page. Download their music on Spotify and Apple Music and Reverb Nation. Yeah. If you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, which can be seen by over 2 million viewers on the Monty Farrow YouTube page, the Monty Farrow Facebook Live page. Here's on the Higher Art Radio, Spotify, Anchor, the Monty and Farrow Twitch TV page. If you're lucky enough to live in New York, catch us on Channel 115 every Tuesday at 7 p.m. and every Saturday at 11.30 a.m. Channel 20, Tuesday, uh, sorry, Wednesday at 9 p.m., where over 150,000 viewers see us weekly. Uh, the head of the cable network, uh, this particular cable network, mm-hmm. called us and said lots and lots of great feedback and a lot of, cool. a lot of viewers... 
since we changed our time, we're calling, trying to find out when the new times are. So they really should probably do a better job there. Right. But anyway, thanks to people like uh, who are about to have on Glacier, mm-hmm. we're able to have such a great following and all the beautiful family members we have as part of Monty and the Pharaoh. Again, we want to apologize for the previous episode. Um, hey. She couldn't Some things make you it, just can't control. But hopefully we could get that back. <laughs> you know? All right, so we'll be right back with one of the greats. We're happy to have legend Tweaky. He's gonna he's gonna glacier your ass. Ray Lloyd, aka Glacier. I'm gonna ask you, is one of people called Ray? He's Glacier. Ray? His name is Ray, but he's Glacier. We'll see you in a uh, iceberg second. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Wolfie D here, and if you are looking to buy or sell a home in Tennessee or Southern Kentucky, you're going to want to call my buddy, the rock star realtor, Benji Bowie. And you say, Wolfie, how do I get in touch with this rock star? Well, you can call him directly at 615-390-8216. You can go to his website, BowieHomes.com. That's B-U-I-E Homes.com. Or you can email him at BenBowie34 at gmail.com. B-E-N-B-U-I-E-34 at gmail.com. When you need a home, you need the Rockstar Realtor. Tell him Wolfie sent you. Benji is a member of Exit Realty's Garden Gate team in Gallatin, Tennessee. Elm Logistics. For all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, Pride, Performance, and Partnerships. And Nitro's Garage, for all your automotive needs, call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage, ask for Jack. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast where we have the honor of having Mr. Ray Lloyd on the Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Ray, how are you, buddy? Hey, guys. I'm doing really good. Thank you guys for having me on. I don't know. Thank you for coming on. I'm sorry to be so long-winded, my friend. Kind of got caught up in that comic book tour. Did you uh, read comic (laughs) books growing up? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, when I was a kid, uh, man, I, I wanted to be Captain America. As a matter of fact, uh, when I actually started forming, you know, what would become Glacier, uh, a lot of uh, what I put into, to, you know, figuring out, you know, who and what Glacier was going to be came from my memories of Captain America when I was a kid. Wow. How'd you come across Captain America? Pop yeah. home a comic book of some kind? I mean, we, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was very, very fortunate. You know, uh, uh, I, you know, uh, I grew up in a, um, unlike a lot of people, I mean, I, I was very fortunate. Me and my twin brother grew up in a very stable home. My mom and dad, they were both uh, in law enforcement. And so we didn't have a lot of money, but there was a lot of love in our house. And, uh, and my dad, my dad was just, you know, like, like a lot of kids, I thought my dad was the coolest guy on the planet. And uh, he loved pro wrestling. He loved uh, anything that was, uh, you know, that was really great, entertaining. You know, he wasn't necessarily a comic book guy, but, um, 
you know, he, he served in the military. He became, you know, a state trooper. So, like, to me, he was kind of like a superhero. So when I looked at, like, Captain America, I kind of, you know, I kind of thought of my dad, you know. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I got introduced to it. Like like most kids, I just picked up a comic book at the local store and, uh, you know, became addicted to it, you know, just uh, just like kids of the 70s did, you know. Was <laughs> your dad a big dude like you? He was. My dad was very athletic. Uh, my mom was very athletic. My mom was... Uh, was five nine, and uh, she was a basketball player in high school, and uh, my dad was a football player, and uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I was very very fortunate. I got I had some pretty good DNA. <laughs> Damn. What are your plans for the holiday, Ray? What do you got going on? What What are you and the wife doing for the holidays? Oh man, I'm gonna do absolutely nothing. You know, except except try to get through what we consider cold weather down here in Florida. We got like a Saturday and Sunday. We it's gonna be like thirty five degrees here, which I know you for you guys is short sleeve weather. Pressed out in Florida here. We gotta we gotta try to prepare for the, some cold weather for a couple of days. But no, we're staying home. We're just relaxing and uh, you know just kind of just taking it easy, which is uh, which is which is very much. Uh, very much needed, you know, just to kind of take it easy, relax. You're not a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, are you, being in Florida by any chance? Oh, man, I wish I could say I was. You I know? wish you could say you were. <laughs> I, I wish I could say I was. right now I, I, giving I us fits. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, real quick, because uh, I heard you guys talking about the Jets earlier. Yeah. You know, I mean, I am the biggest Joe Klecko fan on really? the planet. Okay. I mean, you know, old school Jets, you know, back in the day. And uh, um, so, yeah, but I'm, I'm you know, I, I, it's kind of like, you know, I grew up in Brunswick, Georgia, about an hour north of Jacksonville. So I always kind of quietly root for the Jaguars, I, like I quietly root for the Atlanta Falcons, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, lo and behold, all of a sudden, you know, the uh, the Jaguars kind of actually, accidentally kind of stumbled into maybe possibly making it into the playoffs here. So uh, who knows what's up with that? <laughs> well, it's all, it's all on the line now for both teams. Yeah. They lose yeah. their out. So, yeah. and right now we yeah. look like yeah, we're about exactly. to lose. Historically, you're probably in luck because our history is no luck. So you're probably safe. <laughs> probably safe. Hey Ray, let me ask you: with today's climate in the United States, uh, with everything that's going on for the last eight years or so, does the holidays feel different to you? Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I think it's not so much the climate. It's just the fact that, that uh, you know, as I get older, you know, as I get older, what I realize is that, honestly, like I was just talking today earlier to um, just by, you know, this is just, you know, luck of the draw. I mean, it had nothing to do with, you know, the fact that I was going to be doing your show tonight. But um, one of the guys who was uh, was so instrumental in my life when I was younger was one of my high school coaches, a guy named John Cochran. And uh, he was my offensive line coach in high school. And he and I, you know, he lives up in Minnesota now. And uh, he and I ended up talking today for like half an hour. And, uh, you know, and he has three sons now and, you know, family. And, and he and I were just talking about the fact that, you know, that as we get older, you know, it's, it's really what's really important is, you know, the time you get to spend with people you care about. You know, I mean, presence you know, whatever, you know, material stuff will come and go, you know, but, um, and as I get older, that's the one thing I really do, uh, embrace is the fact that, and I try to, to keep it, you know, um, you know, at, at the top of the priority list is reaching out to people that, uh, that I care about, you know, over the holidays, you know, I've got, I've got, I've been so fortunate. I've had a, I got a group of guys I grew up with that we're still great friends. And, um, and I just reached out to a couple of those guys today. And, and I tell you what, having phone calls with, with those guys, and, and with, you know, people like my, my former high school coach, 
that's the kind of stuff that like this time of year, it, it, it kind of sucks that it takes being the holidays to make a point to reach out to those people. But, uh, but you know, if that's what it takes, so be it. But yeah, that's, that's the thing that I've realized over the last, you know, several years as I get older is that's, what's really, really important. It's just being able to spend good quality time with the people you care about. Awesome, man. Awesome. Jay, Jay will, uh, Ray, Jay will is asking in your VSU days, how are your memories oh, yeah? of playing with Jesse Tuggle, Mark Catano, and Henry Chubb, father of Nick Chubb? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just think of those three guys you just named there. I mean, you know, I, and we just had, believe it or not, talking about feeling, you know, feeling a little bit, uh, you know, uh, of a veteran. <laughs> we just had about a month ago, um, near the end of the VSU football season, our, our coach, I was very, very fortunate. The first uh, year that Valdosta State University had football was 1982. And, uh, and they've gone on the course to do great things. They won like five national championships. Uh, it's great, great institution for, for football. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I played ball with, uh, with Jesse, played ball with Mark Catano, played ball with, with Henry Chubb. And, um, uh, you know, it's crazy that those guys all came through during that window, but we had a reunion of sorts about a month or so ago. And, uh, Jesse came back, Catano came back and Chubb wasn't there, but, uh, um, unfortunately he wasn't able to make it, but, uh, um, I got a, I got a picture with Jesse and, uh, I remember when I walked up and, and we saw each other for the first time, I, I remember like, you know, we, here we are in this, we had, had our, um, a reunion at this big, uh, you know, kind of tent outside the stadium. And the first thing he said was, he, as soon as I walked up, he said, "He said, here's the guy, the only guy that's here that's more more famous than I am." <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and I don't, obviously, I don't know if that's true, but uh, the, but no. I, here's the thing I tell you about Jesse: he hasn't aged a day. He still looks like he looks like he was putting a time capsule. He looks amazing. What did the boys that you used to play football with? What did they think when you became a wrestler? I will tell you this. One of my very best friends to this day is a guy named Larry Pivadol. He was our freshman year. We got recruited together and, uh, and we met when we were being recruited. We became roommates and teammates. And then he was a Florida, he was a Tampa, Florida native. And then, uh, he ended up leaving after our first year and, and he and I kind of stayed in touch for a while. And then we lost touch for probably, I don't know, gosh, about 20 years. And then around 0506, we reconnected. And he would always say when we we're at college, he was like, man, I don't know what you're going to do with your life, but one of two things, you're either going to do something with, with, uh, with pro wrestling or, or martial arts. I know that. <laughs> and so he never, never really followed wrestling. So when we reconnected, he said to me, he said, he said, uh, and he went on to, and, and he's a very successful businessman in Tampa. And he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, man, he goes, what did you end up doing? He goes, let me guess. He just said, you did something with martial arts or pro wrestling. I said, well, I said, funny you should say that. I actually combined both of them. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, those, and you know what? The greatest thing about playing, going back and, and, and spending time with guys I played ball with 40 years ago is they couldn't give a rip about any of that. They were just happy that, that, that I was still healthy, you know? <laughs> It's <laughs> still yeah. still kicking, you know. <laughs> so, but no, it was pretty cool. Actually, one of the uh, one of the coolest things that took place um, uh, at our reunion because we we were there for uh, the we all got recognized at halftime along with our coach Jim Goodman, who was just an unbelievably great man, um, and uh, David Gilliard, one of our one of my teammates, um, who was a couple years older than me. Uh, his grandson was a huge wrestling fan, and. Um, he brought his grandson up to meet me and his grandson just, you know, had this, just the most, you know, just unbelievable 
childlike wonder look on his face when we had a chance to meet and uh and he's excuse me and you know that's that's really honestly like in my opinion um when you do something like this when you choose to to pursue a career in the public eye at the end of the day that is really what it's all about is just you know putting smiles on people's faces and here's a kid who was obviously wasn't even born anytime close to when i had my run you know and uh but to know that even you know years later i could still put a smile on a kid's face man it makes it all worth it you know 10 times over one thing I love is the fact that you became an actor and a stuntman. How did you? How did you? Break oh yeah. In? How did you break into that? Um, you know what? Uh, the funny thing is, is that my mom was actually um, uh, when we were growing up. We and like I said, we grew up in Brunswick, Georgia, and St. Simon's Island, Georgia, had this uh, actually this really professional level theater group uh, called the Island Players. And my mom was a really good actress. And uh, so she got into to doing theater when my brother and I were just, you know, five, six years old. And that's where we would go. My mom, my mom, dad couldn't afford to have babysitters. So we would just run around the theater where my mom auditioned and, and uh, rehearsed for these theater uh, productions that she was in. And so, uh, so I really, I feel like I got the bug to be a performer from my mom, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, um, as far as, uh, you know, pursuing it actively, I moved to Atlanta in 1990 to pursue pro wrestling, uh, but also to pursue, pursue acting. And so I, uh, I started taking acting class with a gentleman named Jim Benton, who's still, um, very much a great friend and great mentor to me. And it was the first guy who really taught me, um, the ins and outs of how to, to be a good actor in front of the camera, not necessarily a theater actor, but, but to be in, in front of the camera. And so, um, you know, and the, one of the greatest lessons he ever taught me was that he said, you know, you're resisting, you know, being typecast. And he said, everybody does, doesn't, seems to not want to be typecast. He said, but remember this, the second part of the phrase typecast is the word cast, which means you're working. So lean into it. <laughs> yeah. And so he really got me to, to lean into it. He's the one, actually, I, I kept parting my hair with this 80s style ugly hairdo forever. And he kept saying to me, look, like you've got this square jaw, you've got this, this certain face that like you need to just kind of go with more of a kind of a flat top haircut. That's what's going to work for you. And I fought it and fought it forever. But once I did, I'll never forget. There was one guy that used to always beat me when I go to auditions, he'd always you know, at least get the call back and I wouldn't get the call back even. And the first audition I went to after I you know, gave in and said, all right, I'll just cut my hair short. I'll do it more of a flat top type. But, um, uh, and I went and I, and I got the the call back and he didn't. And I remember thinking, all right, maybe I'm onto something here. <laughs> so, yeah, what's in so, the hairdo? Um, huh? and that what's was, in the hairdo? Yeah, <laughs> there you it go. really is. And, uh, you know, and, the Beatles and, uh, didn't always look I'll, that way. And then the haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I would tell you this, you know, it was, it was one of the main things that, uh, that I honestly believe when I, when I sat down with Eric Bischoff in January, 1996, at his dinner meeting, which, uh, which I've talked about a lot, you know, in the past, that, that ended up landing me in my contract with WCW and was the beginning of me becoming Glacier. Um, a lot of that, I really seriously believe had to do with the fact that when Eric looked at me, he could see that with this haircut and with this look, that that was who, who he thought this first person, you know, in this blood runs cold thing should be. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, be, I started doing acting on the side and continue to do that even when I was wrestling. And then of course, even after that. And, um, I heard you guys talk about it earlier a little bit about when I, uh, I had the, uh, the, the, the huge honor and pleasure of being in the, uh, I got cast in the season finale of season one of Burn Notice, and I got a chance to work with Bruce Campbell, which was yeah. unbelievably awesome, <laughs> beyond words.
that had to be a high point. I would, I, you must have been going crazy to get that. That's oh, a great yeah. show. I mean, Burn it's just a, great a, show, you know, so. nice. It was. It ran for I think what eight seasons. You know, like I mean, that. any show that yeah. runs for for that long is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a great. It was great. And and Bruce Campbell, the first day that we filmed. Uh, I was there for the whole week for, you know, we, you know, back, you know, most episodic TV films in a week, you know, and, uh, which is, you know, running a gun and, you know, from the time you get there. And, uh, the first scene we filmed was the one where he was, uh, we were in the hull of the boat and he was zip tied in and, uh, and I'm, I'm beating him up. I'm punching mm-hmm. him, you know, and, and, um, uh, what was one of the coolest lessons that I, to this day that I've ever had and in, in someone who's really serious about, you know, portraying their character is, um, Every time I would, you know, we're, we're shooting the, the the scene and I'm doing this big left hook and I'm hitting him in the face and I'm missing by like two feet, of course, because of the uh, the angle they're shooting over, you know, over my right shoulder. And um, and every single time we do a take, he ends up like digging his tongue down, like uh, you know, on his cheek, and he spits out what looks like a tooth. And I keep and, and like I said, this is the first day I've ever met him, so we're we're shooting, and I'm literally like, what? you know, what in the world is that? You know? But I mean, well, how is he, I'm not even hit. I'm not coming close to hitting him. So after about the third take, uh, I just walked over to him and I said, I said, Mr. Campbell, I introduced myself. I said, I said, uh, I noticed you keep spitting something out when we do. I said, I said, what, what is that? And he said, he goes, I, and he's zip tied in. Like he's, he can't move his hands. He's zip tied into this chair. And he goes, he goes, Oh, he goes, he goes, after the next take, I'll show you. And so, um, we do one more and then, uh, you know, they call cut. And then the, the, uh, makeup lady walks in and she's touching up his makeup and she has a, a you know you know ziploc bag and she reaches in and she grabs this little white piece of of a tablet and later he told me he said he said yeah before we started shooting i just took a bunch of altos and i cut them in half and i put them in the ziploc bag and i told you know the makeup artist just to give me one in between each take you know and and he was just you know he would just put it in the side of his mouth and then he would dig it out and spit it out as, as it was a word tooth. And I literally, it was one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned of someone who was a true pro in what they did. I mean, he right. thought that much ahead to, to sell the fact that, you know, that, that, that my punch, you know, which is not even coming close to hitting him, uh, as far as, you know, the audience is concerned, they get to see that it looks like I'm knocking this tooth out, you know? So, yeah, it's just one of those great lessons I got a chance to learn from an unbelievably great actor who I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, and well, it sounds like one of your wrestling matches anyway, an illusion, you know? Yeah, you just yeah. knock his teeth out. I mean, <laughs> you're basically working like you would in a match. I have to correct you <laughs> both. That way. I have to correct you both on one thing, though. What? You know, one day at a time lasted yeah. nine seasons. What, what, what ah, wow. Well, both, yeah. both of you were saying, hey, if something lasts for like eight seasons, it's got to be a good show. Remember, mm-hmm. one day at a time lasted nine seasons. Yeah, trouble. That was a heck of a show. So. <laughs> the fucking right, you like that? <laughs> One day at a time is awesome. Wait, wait, up on your feet, up on your feet. Come on, sing the song. What do you? What's wrong with you? Oh, by the way, the next question, um, Mr. Glacier, Mr. Glacier, not Ray, Mr. Mr. Glacier. Glacier. The next question, I think oh. I'm being set up here because I already know the answer anyway. Why do you make me ask him with a straight face? Were you in my favorite <laughs> movie, No Holds Barred? I hate that movie. I love it. <laughs> he wasn't in No Holds Barred. I think he was. He's yes, so, I was. You, you were? Yes, I was. There you go. Wait there a minute. No wait, hold, wait, hold on. I thought you said yes, you started. Your, wait a minute. What year was No Holds Barred, please? Uh, yeah. Was that, and, and that's that's 80s, one of the no, reasons. Yeah. That's before he starts his career yeah. in 1990. No. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, we, we, actually, we actually, and I once again, I, I got to make sure to, to thank, you know, you guys love my buddy Sandy Beach. 
you know? We do. And Sandy Beach is the one who I, I could sit here the whole episode. I could, I could give you all my love for Sandy Beach. Sandy Beach is actually the guy who, who recommended me to, uh, Fred Avery, the guy who trained me okay. in professional wrestling. So R- Sandy Beach is originally responsible, literally, for me becoming a pro wrestler. And wow. I love wow. him as a friend and, and, and as a, and just as an ally, but, but he's the guy that literally steered me to a career in pro wrestling. And I thank him for that. But if you, as you guys know, he played one of the headbangers in, in the, um, the scene, the fight scene, the underground fight scene right. with Joe LaDuke. And, um, and he got me booked on that uh, on that movie that summer. I think it was the summer of '87. I broke into April of '87, so right. it was summer of '87 or summer of '88. I can't remember. Right around there. And so yes, that was my first uh, dab dabble into the movie business, which is one of the reasons why I ended up moving to Atlanta in 1990. There but um, but yeah, I played uh, and I had a very very you know small insignificant role. I was just one of the guys around the ring. Um, you know, I was just kind of basically like an extra, but, uh, but you can imagine being on the set. It's where I got to meet Stan Hansen and Joe LaDuke and, and actually, uh, you know, Vince McMahon was on the set for a couple of days, which was, you know, for, and, and of course, you know, I got to meet Hogan and, and which was awesome because here I am, you know, a kid just breaking into the business. And, um, but, uh, I do have a great, great story from one of the nights when we were filming that we, when they were filming the fight scene between Stan Hansen and Joe LaDuke, if you guys want to hear it. Let's hear it. Hit it. All right. All right. It's, I was just telling this a couple of nights ago to one of my buddies is, uh, uh, and, and have you, have you guys had Stan on the show? Stan yes. Harris? Yes, we have. Yes. Yeah. Really nice. So you guy. guys know, know how great of a guy he is. Yeah. Just an awesome guy. And so, uh, you know, here I was, you know, this, this young wrestler and all of a sudden I, I'm, I'm spending my, my whole days getting to know Stan Hansen. And of course, Joe LaDuke, who was, who was great too. So they, uh, they had this octagon ring that was kind of like, you know, had like this kind of matted floor and it was supposed to be in this underground bar or whatever. Well, this is at the end of like, literally like, you know, if anybody who's worked on the film, you know that 12 to 14 hour days are pretty much the norm when you're shooting a film. So this is at the end of like a 14 hour day. I mean, long, super long day. And, uh, and I remember where I was sitting, you know, my, my position, uh, on the outside of the ring was right next to where they had the camera placed at that time. And they were shooting, um, the uh, fight scene between, uh, Stan and Joe LaDuke. And, um, every take they would stop and, and, and Joe and Stan were just like hammering each other. I mean, they were just laying shots in left and right, but I mean, hitting in safe places, but they were still knocking, knocking the hell out of each other. And so I remember that every time they call cut, the director would call cut, he'd say, he'd remind, he'd say, guys, just so you understand, you don't have to really have to hit each other. You know, with the angle we're shooting, it all plays to the camera. Don't worry about it. You don't have to really hit each other. And then they'd go again, and they'd still just bang the hell out of each other. <laughs> so after about the third take, the, the director says, cut. And uh, and I'll never forget, like, Stan, you know, has Joe propped up on one of the posts, like, with his hand on his, like, right shoulder. And and the uh, director says, Stan, it's a, just want to remind you, like, this is the movies. You don't have to hit Joe for real. And, and then, you know, Stan and Joe, they're both, it's a long day. They've been, they're tired. And Stan whips right around, looks over his right shoulder, and he says, he says, you know what? If I'm hitting Joe too hard, he'll tell me. <laughs> and Joe just kind of nods like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that. And the director goes, okay. <laughs> they just went on shooting, and every single take, they just kind of banged, banged each other around, you know, pretty good. But it was just kind of like normal for them, you know? Right. In your opinion, where does Hogan rank in the great actors of our era? 
<laughs> I smelled dookie in that question. Don't ask me that. Come on, guys. You guys are, no, you guys no, are no. setting me up Answer. Here. Answer. How good is he? He's, he's great, right? Orson Welles level. Come on. Give it to us. I smelled dookie. I smelled dookie. Yeah. One of the uh, great that, lines yes, of ever. A, oh, my God. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Ray, your background that, that, in martial arts, let's speak about yeah, that. Yeah. You were the Southeastern Heavyweight Karate Champion. How do you get into karate? I was. Yeah. You know, um, um, I actually, like most people, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I have, like I said, I have a twin brother. Me and my twin brother watched the Bruce Lee movie, and we said to our dad, hey, dad, we want to, you know, we want to study martial arts. And so my dad um, did some masking around. And fortunately, in Brunswick, Georgia, to this day, there's still um, this uh, former naval you know, military base that's now the federal law enforcement training center called Fleetech. And, um, two of the instructors that were there, uh, who had strong martial arts background had just opened up a, um, a local martial arts school. Uh, their names are Bob Natsky and Frank Graves. My dad heard about them, went and talked to them and, and signed me and my brother up. And, uh, lo and behold, I had never had any you know inclination that, you know, here, you know, 45 years later, these, these two men would still be really powerful forces in my life, but they are. I mean, both of them were my instructors that I, when I started when I was a teenager and, um, and still, you know, became father figures to me and, and, uh, just, uh, mentors at a level that I can't even really put into words. And, um, and both of them are, are now around 80 years old and, uh, I still wouldn't dare tangle with either one of them, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but I, I competed in martial arts tournaments when I was in, in, in going through high school. When I graduated uh, high school and went to Valdosta State, um, I was uh, was playing football full time because I was on a scholarship. And then uh, I just I would go to, to tournaments that around that area. And then when I was uh, in Valdosta, I eventually met a young man named Bruce Edwards. His father was a um, uh, uh, old, you know, boxing corner man. I remember they called his dad Cut Edwards. That was his, his nickname. And, uh, and, and full contact karate was just really coming into its own back then in the eighties. And so, um, Bruce Edwards was, uh, affiliated with the World Karate Association, the WKA. And so, uh, he kind of taught me into, uh, you know, becoming a fighter, uh, and, and training right there in the off season from football. In Valdosta, he had a, a really, um, really successful gym where there were several guys that trained and uh, several guys that I worked with that, you know, that worked out with that went on to have really good careers in the WKA. So, um, so yeah, during uh, about three, three and a half years of my college career, three out of three and a half of about the five years I was there, I competed and, um, I, you know, it was like football and then in the off season I was doing that. So it was a great way to stay in shape. And, um, and I probably would have done it even longer, but, uh, about around, I think around 80, late 85 or so, they changed the rules to where it used to be. The rule was, uh, where you, the kicks had to be from the waist on up. And then they changed it from kicks had to be from the knee up. And, uh, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I was smart enough to realize that one kick, you know, that's just about a few inches too low could, could, you know, could ruin me as athletically and I'd lose my scholarship or whatever. So I wasn't willing to take that chance. So I finally stepped away from it. But, but yeah, I had a, I had a really good career. Um, and, and here's the main reason I decided to actually get into full contact karate because in tournament karate, you know, it's all semi contact. And, um, I just was at the point, I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm pretty decent at this stuff, but I need to find out if I can really take a punch. And I know that sounds really crazy, but that was the reason I got into full contact karate. I was like, you know what? I know I can punch pretty good. I know I can kick pretty good, 
I need to find out if I can take a hit, you know, and, and I did, I found out that I could take a pretty good hit, you know? <laughs> and so, so, uh, and I think that's a, that's, um, pretty much the, uh, um, what makes any, any fighter that's a decent fighter, any good is not only your technique, but you know, like how much, how much punishment can you take? And, uh, I learned pretty quick, uh, you know, for better or worse, I could take a good bit of punishment and keep going. <laughs> Being a legitimate karate champion, you're the perfect guy to ask this because this is the age-old question, the age-old debate. Who wins this fight, Andre the Giant or Bruce Lee? <laughs> oh, I'd have to say Andre because, you know, I mean, wow. if Andre could get wow. his hands on him, he would just sit on him. <laughs> any, any chance of Bruce Lee doing what he, you know, the fast the guy was so fast. Is there any chance he could like chip him away or, you know, you know what? Big... Maybe. I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I was just, you know, you have all these reels that pop up, you know, on social media. I was just watching a reel literally yesterday, uh, Brandon Lee talking about, you know, his mm-hmm. dad and, uh, they were showing clips. And, and of course I studied like any martial artist that's come along in the last 40 years. Um, I really, really studied Bruce Lee a lot. And, uh, and you know, his, his level of speed, if you, if you go back and you watch his, I mean, his, his, honestly, his, his speed ridiculous, ridiculous. I, to this day, I don't think anybody's even equaled it. And, uh, it, but it's funny when you, when you know, it was funny how, you know, Brandon Lee, cause people always don't say, Oh, Bruce Lee was so naturally fast. Yes, he was. But I mean, Bruce Lee, if you go back and you look at his history, man, you want to talk about a guy who really, really worked his butt off. I mean, this guy trained almost maniacally, you know, to to get, you know, as lean as he could, to get as fast as he could, you know, to, to kick as hard as he could. I mean, this guy, like, trained, uh, it, even today, I mean, his, his the, the level of training that he did back in the 60s and 70s, for the most part, is not really matched by anybody today. I mean, people, a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I, always, you know, I always laugh when people say, uh, I went out and I gave 110%. And I always, I always have a great saying, you know, that I've said for years, you know, 110% does not exist. Right. You know, it's 100% or it's nothing. You know? <laughs> and so right. if you say 110, 150, one, you know, no, I mean, 100%. And, you know, Bruce Lee, when I, I'm studying him, what I realized is that that guy, that guy pushed himself, you know, pretty close to, to 100% of what his body could do a lot more than the average person could or would ever do. And, um, and that's something that most people just, they don't realize what that takes to, you know, cause, cause the thing that what, ha- what happens first is, is mentally, mentally, I mean, your, your brain will tell you to stop a lot, lot sooner than what your body can really handle. And I think he really tapped into how far he could push himself mentally as far as, you know, equaling, you know, how much he could, how far he could push himself physically. And that's something that, you know, that most people just, um, you know, because, you know, most people don't discomfort, you know, I mean, it, people don't want to go through that, you know, most, most people. So, but he was, uh, he was a guy, if you could look back in him, he was so far ahead of his time uh, as for how, how hard he trained and, uh, you know, he documented everything, you know, which was really, well, I don't think a lot of people realize that either. I mean, this guy, I mean, he was, he really, really was serious about studying, you know, human performance way before it was cool to study human performance, you know, which is, I think, why he was able to, you know, he, he obviously was naturally gifted, but he took that and he, he worked his butt off to, to make sure that he capitalized all that as good as he could. And, uh, and I think that's why he still endures today. People really, even though they may not know exactly why, but 
I mean, you can really respect and appreciate somebody who, who puts that kind of work in, you know? Most famous, obviously, for the role of Glacier. How about telling us how Glacier got started? How did this all come about? Oh, man. Wow. I mean, uh, how much time you guys have? <laughs> but uh, no, the, the, the quick version of it is, is that, uh, uh, and it's like always, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. You know, I, I built a really good career and, uh, um, you know, uh, and I do a good bit of seminars still. I'm still, um, you know, QT Marshall, who's with AEW, QT and I started the, uh, what's called One Fall Power Factory several years ago back in Atlanta. Last couple of years, Cody came on board, Cody Rhodes, and we rebranded it as a nightmare factory. And, uh, and I still do a lot of some, I, I try to go back and forth as much as I can for the 12 week camps that we have up there. And I do, you know, seminars all over the, over the country and, you know, really all over the world. And, um, you know, one of the, uh, the main things I tell people is that, you know, my overnight success took about 10 years. You know, I broke in in April of 87. I didn't get my break with, with WCW until, um, to really January of 96. So it was, it was almost 10 years. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I, I know what it takes to, I know what it's like to have to be patient and get frustrated and think that a break should have come and it doesn't come. And, uh, and QT, I mean, it took him 15 years to get his break, you know, with, with AEW. And so, uh, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I always say to anyone who wants to pursue, you know, something like pro wrestling is, uh, more than likely, if you're really serious about trying to make a name in this business and to, to build a career, you're probably going to have to go where the opportunity is because the opportunity is not going to come to you. And uh, at the time, I, we broke into wrestling. I broke. I was trained and broke in '87 with one of my best uh, friends and uh, one of my best teammates that I played all four, played the last four years with at Valdosta State. I was a center. He was offensive guard. Got him R.D. Swain. We broke into wrestling as the Blazers, <laughs> which uh, which was uh, you know kind of like a, our, our Valdosta State University was that's their mascot was the Blazers. So we were kind of like a football tag team. And then uh, you know it didn't take me too long to kind of break away a little bit because R.D.'s thing was he you know he was a much more natural you know pro wrestler than I was. It didn't come to me really easy like it did him. But he was just at the point where he had other things going on in his life, and it wasn't necessarily his end all be all to go pursue a wrestling career. Whereas for me, it really was. So uh, I had graduated with my degree in education, uh, became a school teacher. So I got a job in Atlanta in 1990, moved to Atlanta, um, and taught during the week and wrestled, you know, every night I could on the weekends and the summers and the holidays, whatever. And then, um, I became, and, and like I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but once I moved to Marietta, Georgia, one of the first things I did was get a membership to main event fitness, which was owned by Sting and Lex. And uh, all the wrestlers worked out there. And a lot of the guys already knew anyway, guys like Disco Inferno, Buff Bagwell, Scotty Riggs. We all came up together. And so uh, we were all working out the main event. And through that, uh, through Disco, really, I got to, to meet and become really great friends with Diamond Dallas Page. And uh, in, in the early 90s, anybody that knows Dallas's journey knows that that's when he was with WCW, but he was still trying to break through and make a name for himself. Um, he and I became great friends. And, uh, you know, my... I have a lot of great quotes that I, that I use just because of as a teacher and a coach, but my number one all time favorite quote is, yeah, it's not what, you know, it's not who, you know, it's who's willing to say they know you. So who's willing to put their name and reputation out there to give you a leg up. And, and, uh, and Dallas was willing to do that uh, with me, uh, uh, for me with Eric Bischoff. And then, um, so he ended up telling Eric about, uh, my martial arts background, all that stuff. And, uh, just coincidentally, 
you know, that's when WCW was looking to, uh, you know, TBS, you know, had already, uh, there was a popularity of the Mortal Kombat, you know, movie and the game. And then, and then TBS had signed on to do this Mortal Kombat TV series. And so that was our main question was, how can we bring this into the wrestling ring or can we even bring it in? And so that's, uh, that's how it, uh, it kind of happened. I, I met, uh, Bischoff in, in uh, January of 96, uh, made a good enough impression where he signed me, uh, right away. And, um, and then eventually Chris Canyon got signed. Eventually Brian Clark, who had come from WWF as Adam Bomb. And Brian and I kind of came up together in the North Georgia wrestling and before he became Adam Bomb. And then Ernest Miller came on board and, uh, the four of us. And then James Mitchell came on board as James Vandenberg. And, uh, and that's how it all started. But, uh, um, it was, uh, it, I guess, uh, like I said, it was a, uh, uh, it was almost 10 years worth of hard work just to get to that point of what most people, because this was just was infancy of the internet. So when I burst onto the scene, you know, so a lot of people, even Dusty, and of course Dusty became, you know, who was my childhood hero. Dusty became a mentor of mine. And even Dusty thought that, I, that Eric somehow found me somewhere. And he had no idea I wrestled for nine years and built a good name in Japan and everything before I came to WCW. So, so yeah, it was, that's kind of the, uh, the short, version of uh of kind of how glacier really began how how about the name glacier though like you know you're gonna be oh. glacier and you're like yeah. looking at him like what yeah yeah oh, reaction yeah. Well, when we you got used the to name have, and- um yeah well here's the here's the great story about how the name came about is uh we used to i i recommended a gentleman named andre Fritas who was a, a special effects makeup artist he owned what was called afx studios in atlanta um and he's tremendously talented uh special effects artist still to this day. So, uh, so Eric liked Andre hired him to be the guy who created, you know, the, uh, our look, uh, and, and the name and everything. And so he was a guy that brought Glacier and Mortis and Wrath and, and, you know, Ernest Catmiller from drawing board to finish product. Okay. And so, uh, we would have these, what we call midnight meetings at, uh, at Andre's studio where Eric would drive over on his motorcycle and, and literally we'd meet at midnight. And, and go over all these, you know, the stuff that Andre had come up with. And, and of course we were meeting with Andre all the time. And, and so, um, when it, what, you know, Glacier was going to be the first one of the four, obviously. And so we started off with a name, uh, a list of like over 150 names. And, uh, and we kept whittling away, whittling away, whittling away. And then we finally got down to like the final, you know, quote unquote top 10 names. And then, um, uh, here's the funny thing is, is once everything was said and done, Andre put a uh, folder together. This was after I'd already, you know, been out for a while. And, uh, I think it was maybe the one year anniversary, maybe of, of, of Glacier, but he put together a whole folder, a folder of kind of like all of his notes that he had put together. And, uh, this is something that's really, really, uh, funny uh, as far as, you know, if you look at timelines, uh, cause this was, you know, this was early 96 and, uh, you know, uh, Steve Austin came from, you know, stunning Steve Austin came from WCW, went to WWE, WWF at the time, uh, became what was a taskmaster and all that stuff before he became Stone Cold Steve Austin. And so if you look at the timelines, it was about the same time when I was coming out as Glacier. And, uh, ironically, one of the final names that made on our top 10 list, I was starting with like 150 names. One of the names in that top 10 list, one was Glacier, one was Cryonic and one was Stone Cold. Believe it or not. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and of course, I always, I'm the first one to say, 
let's face it, the right guy got the right name. All right. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> but uh, but I, got I still you. have all those notes, which is really cool because that was before, you know, Austin never debuted as, as Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was just these two universes kind of coexisting and had no idea the other one was, was just, existing. Just think, but though, that, if you would have taken that name, that could have no. changed the whole way it was <laughs> yeah. all going to turn out, right? Well, well, let's, like I say, let's just be honest here. The right guy got the right name. So. Yeah. But <laughs> did WCW a, find themselves in trouble, though? Because you pretty much look like the Mortal Kombat oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. wasn't there like some sort of infringement or copyright deal on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, the funny thing was um, when we whittled, whittled the name down, uh, I'll never forget, um, it came down to the last two names were Cryonic and Glacier. And we were all campaigning for Glacier. But for whatever reason, uh, I remember that Eric seemed to like cryonic and um, which cryonic sounds a lot like chronic, which most people consider the word chronic with with, marijuana. (laughs) And so I remember Brian Clark saying to me, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know, kind of frozen marijuana. But, uh, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I'll never forget, like, Andre, Andre Creed is saying, like, he's like, we ought to go, we ought to get, we ought to band together and, and pitch Glacier. He's like, you, you can't be, you know, chronic, like, you can't be cryonic. Chronic, that's like a verb, you know? <laughs> I was like, I was like, look, man, I didn't pass English and I barely passed English in high school. But, uh, but so, so we all campaigned and we came up with this idea to pitch to, to Eric. It's like, okay, we'll go with Glacier. And then his finishing move will be the cryonic kick. And, and honestly, like at, at that time, we didn't really know what kick was going to be the cryonic kick. I know here's the thing. I knew I wanted my kick to be anything but the super kick because everybody knew the super kick. I mean, Sean was doing that at the time and, and Chris Adams had done it before that. And, and, um, but we tried several kicks. So eventually I got the name Glacier. We settled with Glacier. We settled on cryonic kick. But you know, what we really also determined was that, um, and the audience, especially at that time, you couldn't throw, you know, any kind of crazy, outrageous kick at them because the audience just wasn't ready for that yet, you know? I mean, and it which sounds kind of ironic today because it seems like everybody kicks now. But, you know, you know, you know, in, in 96, they, there, were, there were very few people that were actually, you know, throwing kicks and very, very few people that were willing to, to try to, you know, bump off of, of kicks being thrown at their head, you know, which, uh, like I said, it sounds kind of like uh, like you know like crazy today because uh, you think about everybody throws kicks now. But but anyway, but um, so yeah, it, you know, so uh, so that's kind of how you know we settled on on the name and the, the name for the kick. And uh, but um, but yeah, we I mean, so from there it was just uh, you know we were like, okay, well, how do how do we figure out who Glacier is? And my whole thing was to go back and create this backstory, you know, that uh, that really explained you know, and 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 I was you know I was. Uh, uh, I, I want. I was really big on wanting to kind of marry a little bit of fiction with a little bit of truth, you know. So we did the whole, you know, Glacier came from Japan. He studied with his master, blah 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 blah. But I also wanted to kind of bring in some truth to, you know, make it a little autobiographical. So that's where we pulled in the story of, you know, coming from a law enforcement family and blah 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 blah. So uh, so that's kind of how we 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 kind of got started with the whole Glacier thing. One of your biggest feuds was with Mortis, Chris Canyon. What was it like working with Chris? Oh yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, first let me just say that, uh, I, I absolutely love Chris. Uh, I miss him every day. I really do. Uh, he was, uh, when we first met was when this whole thing came together and, uh, he had been in the business, I think maybe about as long as I had, maybe, maybe not quite as long, 
maybe a year or two less than me, but we both were, we're chasing that, that dream of like, you know, our, our goal is to make it in pro wrestling, become a, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, make it at the highest level and perform, you know, at the highest level. And so, uh, I remember when, when I first met him, we started talking, of course, him and Dallas had known each other and, uh, um, that's how kind of how we met. And I realized real quick that he had that same drive and that same passion that I did. And, um, and also one thing that Chris had that, um, that I think, uh, you know, linked us from the very beginning is the fact that we both were average athletes. You know, I mean, I, I was an average college athlete. I mean, I, I couldn't run really fast. I couldn't jump really high, you know, but, you know, I had pretty good flexibility, which is why I was able to, you know, excel in martial arts. But, but Canyon was six, four, you know, around 250, 260, and, um, had an unusual, uh, level of, um, athleticism for, for that big, even though he'd never really been like a basketball player, football player, anything like that. So our thing was, okay, let's take what, let's take our natural gifts and let's figure out how can we work together and how can we, you know, how can we entertain people as best we can? And, um, and I will tell you, I mean, every time we, we, we worked together, uh, we went, we went a hundred percent. I mean, there was, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of banged on each other pretty good, <laughs> but, uh, but never, never, uh, never, never out of spite. We always, you know, always hit safe areas, but, but we laid our stuff in and, um, and, and it was just because we knew that, um, you know, that was, that was kind of what Eric expected out of us. And, uh, we knew that's how we we're going to get the best out of each other. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can honestly say, um, you know, I, it's, 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 I'm finally at the point all these years later that I can really talk about him without getting, without breaking down. I mean, because I really, I cared about him and loved him as a friend so much and I, I still do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I undoubtedly had uh, the best chemistry in the ring with Canyon more than anyone else I've ever wrestled with. And, uh, and I, 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 yeah, I know I've said it two or three, but I really do truly miss him every day. I mean, he was a, he was a great guy. He had some, um, had some problems near the end, but, uh, and I really wish he would have reached out, you know, more, but, uh, you know, it was, we, we, we were trying to reach out to him and there was just a time it came to a point where he kind of, closed off to everybody and um and then eventually you know um he passed but uh but yeah i mean the the years that i i spent with him you know uh he was a great friend and and my buddy luther biggs and i and and, and vandy you know jim mitchell whenever we talk we we very much keep his memory alive because uh, he had so many great sayings and great great quotes that he could only say in that new york accent that we we throw those around all the time <laughs> so we very much keep his spirit alive right you hear about, you know, I'm, I'm sure the pro wrestling locker room could be pretty tough, right? You got a lot of testosterone oh, yeah. floating around there. Now, we all know that Chris was gay. Did Chris get, you know, abused at all in the locker room? I know he's a big guy and everything else, but being that, you know, of his sexual orientation, did, did the locker room give him any problems? And did you know he was gay no. at that time? No. You know, I, I you know, it was, it's, 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 Weird. I mean, it, it, to sit there and say that, yeah, we, we, we kind of knew, we kind of knew, but, um, we never really asked him. I never asked him and, and he never really gave up that information, but we kind of knew. I mean, here's, here's a guy who, like all of us, we were on TV, 
you know, four nights a week back then. And we lived in Atlanta where, you know, during the nineties, it was the greatest time in the world to live in Atlanta. We, every time we went out anywhere, we got carte blanche treatment, you know, it's just, and, and you never really, never really saw him, you know, on, on dates with, with girls or women or whatever. And, uh, but it was like, you know what? It was like, after a while, it was just kind of like, eh, that's, that's, you know, it's Canyon. It's no big deal, whatever. But no, in the locker room, it was never, um, I never saw any indication that there was a, uh, cause once again, you have to think this is the nineties. It was a totally different time. You know, and uh, he that was um, I always say that one thing about um, Chris that that I thought was um, very unique in the sense that um, even to this day, I can sit here and I think back and I think back and, you know, Kenyon, he never displayed a lot of what, you know, people, I, I guess, would say, you know, stereotypical, you know, mannerism or tendency. It, it was never, you know, he, he was never never one who displayed any of that. Um he, uh, it was just, uh, it just wasn't anything that was ever really talked about, but, uh, um, he was, uh, and he always seemed, you know, quite happy and, and, and quite, you know, in, in a good place with, with, with who he was and where he was. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was one of the things where, you know, we just didn't, you know, we, we in the inner circle, you know, and, and, you know, in wrestling, everybody has their, uh, it's like any, any place where you work, everybody, you know, you kind of have your, your, your your click, you know, that you hang out with. And, and like I said, that's not, that's certainly not, um, isolated just in wrestling. That's in any, any job, you know, any job atmosphere, but we had our group and, um, and everybody kind of knew, but we, we just didn't, we never talked about it. He never brought it up. We never brought it up, but everybody kind of knew, you know, and, uh, um, and it, it didn't change anything. It was just, it was what it was. And, uh, I remember after, you know, he did the show where he, uh, with Dallas, where he, we came out, um, he called me, you know, a few days later, and uh he was just like so does you know does this change anything between me and you and i was like i was like no of course not bro i knew a long time ago and i remember you know him and that new york accent he just said he said he said you have effort you're kidding me you didn't know i was like yeah bro i knew (laughs) i was like so it didn't change anything between us back then why should it change anything now you know you're still my bud you're always gonna be that's how it is, you know. I mean, it, it, you know, I didn't, do what you do, whatever you do. I mean, I don't care, you know. As long as we're still, as long as you're still good to me and I'm good to you, you know, that's all that really matters. And uh, and that's kind of how we we addressed it, and then we left it at that. We never really discussed it again. Being that you were in his inner circle and that you were so close to him, when he took his life the way he did, you mentioned just a maybe a minute or two ago that he had started to shut people off and you know, build yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So are, are you shocked when he takes his life? Are you resigned? Cause you kind of like felt maybe it was coming. Where, where were you at when you heard the news? Yeah. yeah I, I, I remember exactly where I was. And I, I can't say that I was shocked because the last maybe couple of years, uh, he got to the point to where, you know, it was, uh, it was hard to communicate with him. I mean, he was more like, you know, communicating through text and even though, you know, not only just me, but, uh, you know, Luther and, and, you know, Vandy. Vandy was, of course, close, the closest to him, Jim Mitchell. But, um, uh, you know, it was just, we, I'd still communicate, but where I would just, you know, want to get him on the phone and talk. I mean, he, he wasn't at a point where he really wanted to, to talk much. So it was a lot easier to communicate through text. But, uh, um, I'll never forget. Yeah. It was, uh, in the morning when I was driving and ironically, I was working with, um, Mark, Mark Merrow, um, his, his brother, Joel Merrow had a, um, I'd moved back to Atlanta during the time and my, cause my mom was up there and my brother and, uh, um, and, and I was, and Joel had a very successful, 
uh, pool business where he was building pools. And, and so, uh, I was actually doing a little work with Joel on the side and we had, he, he called me up and said, Hey, you know, you know, want to come help me today do this one pool out. And we're going out towards Stone Mountain, Georgia. And, um, I was following him out just to you know, help him go to this property and kind of, you know, assess this, um, this pool. And, um, and Mandy called me and, uh, and I'll never forget, uh, you know, he, the exact words where he just said, uh, he said, he said, well, he said, uh, he finally did it. And I said, what? And he said, uh, I said, he said, Canyon. He said, he's, uh, he's gone. And, uh, I remember pulling off the side of the road and just, uh, just first of all, being in shock, you know, taking a minute to take it in. And then of course, just, you know, just getting really emotional, obviously, you know, because as, as anybody would, when, when you hear that kind of news and, uh, and, uh, you know, and then I, I, called Joel and I just said, Hey, look, you know, I, 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 I can't, I can't do anything. I just need to go have some time to myself. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was just so sad because, um, he was, uh, such a great guy and, and, and yes, he made an unbelievable contribution to wrestling, but I'm just happy. I got to know the guy, you know, Chris Canyon, because we, uh, we had uh, an equal love for the same thing, which is pro wrestling. And that's what bonded us. And, um, and that's my best memories of him is the fact that, uh, that he was, he was a great guy. <clears throat> Some of the greatest times that we had were just sitting around drinking beer, talking wrestling and, and just, uh, you know, just being buddies. And, and we, and we were brought together by our, our love for the pro wrestling business. And that's something that I'll just, I'll always remember about him is that he was, uh, he was such a good, fun guy to be around and um and i just i miss him every day i really hate that he's gone i really do well who's better than canyon who's better than canyon who's better than canyon <laughs> exactly there you go yeah did you ever get and, a call from wwe after the wcw years i'm just curious oh yeah yeah i did and uh and and i've talked about this a couple times uh uh on some other shows um i actually uh yeah i actually um you know we, we got bought out in april of 01 and uh um, at that time I was, uh, I was in, engaged to, to get married and, uh, one of my very best friends, Steve Day, who actually was Cody's high school wrestling coach, coached him the two state championships. Uh, he was a teach, head of department head at Lastra High School where Cody was going to school at the time. And of course I had gotten to know Dusty through WCW. And, uh, in 2000, Dusty left WCW and started Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. And, and I was helping Dusty, you know, it was kind of became his right hand guy with, with that while I was still working with WCW. And then we got bought out and, um, you know, it was a little while I went by. Terry Taylor um, was someone who's helped me tremendously throughout my entire wrestling career. Uh, Terry actually advised me on how to put together a, um, a tape to send to WWE. And actually I put together a tape where I put a highlight reel together of Glacier and I actually went into the studio and, and I actually taped a, uh, I grew my beard back out again and I actually put on the old coach Buzz Stern gimmick and I did a promo introducing, you know, Ray Lloyd as Glacier as, as coach Buzz Stern, which was uh, a lot of fun to do. And, um, and I sent it in and they thought it was great. And, uh, and actually Kevin Kelly actually was the person I was dealing with. He called me and, and they actually ended up offering me a, a, um, a deal. They wanted me somehow, um, you know, the office had, had, you know, learned about, you know, my, the fact that my family, uh, you know, was uh, all in law enforcement and my, my dad and my mom and my twin brother and my two uncles, everybody except me, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, my dad had a very celebrated career as a, as a Georgia state trooper. So they wanted me to come in and, 
they they had an idea about me doing a Georgia, you know, doing a state trooper type gimmick, which had kind of been done a couple times before. But uh, I felt like I it was entertaining a little bit. But um, uh, I remember I went to uh, to talk to Dusty because I was looking, I was weighing like, okay, I just accepted the teaching position uh, and coaching, and I can sit here and work with my my childhood hero, Dusty Rhodes, help him build his company, or I can go back on the road full time with with you know WWE, and and, and I just want to be honest and be fair here. The offer they were making me was a very minimal offer. Okay. They weren't recruiting me heavy, you know, <laughs> but, but they, they made an offer and, um, and it was, I mean, it was respectable, but they didn't have to offer any of us anything at that time because they had a full roster already and, and they were trying to, you know, they were looking to handpick a few people and, um, and I really appreciate the offer, but I, I, I said, right. I might be I overstepping my boundaries it. here, yeah. but what's a minimal offer from the WWE? Oh, it was your typical, um, like, uh, you know, it was like typical, like fifteen hundred a week, which is like about seventy-eight thousand a year. And then, you know, and then you would get based on if you did pay-per-views and if you were, where you were on the pay-per-views. You know, that would be. But but you know, with that brutal traveling schedule, fifteen hundred dollars a week. That that was kind of like the minimal offer back in the day with WCW or WWE. You know, it was that's not a lot of money. You know, and you're paid as an independent contractor. <laughs> I mean, it was you know to put those kind of you know. Uh, you know, that kind of mileage in every, every year. I mean, you're, you're on the road literally all the time. I mean, it was literally no money. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, and you know, in Marietta, Georgia, you know, to this day, even it's, it's one of the highest paying counties as far as I know in the country, as far as, you know, uh, cost of living compared to what teachers make, uh, they get paid very, very well up there. And so I remember when I was talking to Dallas about it and Dallas said, well, yeah, you'll be making, you know, pretty close to that if you know and staying home i said yeah and i can work with dusty you know so but i i went and had a a heart to heart with dusty and i remember um you know telling him kind of what was on the table and uh, i remember exactly what dusty told me which uh, it, it literally um it just resonated with me so much he just said he said um he always called me raymond and he said raymond he said so i'm gonna ask you one question he said uh, are you willing to trust your daddy's legacy to the pro wrestling business and i said Hell no. He goes, well, I think you got your answer. And I literally had a little flip phone back then. <laughs> I went outside and I, I called, you know, and, and I just respectfully declined their offer. And uh, like I said, I'll be very clear. It was a minimal offer. They weren't recruiting me really hard. Uh, it might have been more, um, you know, as a favor to somebody. I don't even know. But uh, it was it was it was nice that they made an offer. But at the time and of course, you know, like I, I had the pleasure of and the honor of working, you know, under Paul Orndorff when he was, you know, at the power plant and which was just the biggest thrill in the world to get to, to know Paul. And I remember Paul always saying, hey, your goal should be to work for both companies and then the, but not burn any bridges when everything's said and done. So, of course, yeah, I would have loved to have been able to have a run with WWE. But, uh, you know, it just I, I made a decision, you know, to to, to go a different route. And, and I can tell you, yes, I mean, there's a part of me that always wonders what that would have been like. But. To have worked with Dusty, who was my hero, um, and to help him build Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling uh, and get to know him on the level that I got to know him, I can't imagine if I would have gone with WWE that that decision would have been, I would have had any better experience than I would have had working alongside Dusty, you know, for those few years because uh, that was just life changing for me. And, uh, and to this day, uh, I just, uh, it, I'm, I'm thrilled to death to say that I got a chance to, to get to know my childhood hero and really become, like I said, his right hand guy to help, you know, build his company, uh, during those few years that he, he was building TCW. So, um, so yeah, I mean, very few regrets on my end. 
Ray Tibes flying. Uh, we're out of time. I want to hit you with something called the Pharaoh's final question. First of all, we want to oh, thank yeah. you for joining us. Uh, incredible. We could have did three hours. We got to have you back on. I know. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, I, and uh, yeah, I definitely want to come back in, the, in like maybe in a few months in the spring because I, I got something really, really big to talk about. So that sounds good. Awesome. All right, Pharaoh, you got yeah. it. Big question. All righty. You obviously were there during one of the greatest uh, times in the history of pro wrestling, and you got to witness the uh, NWO in the locker room. So I ask you, how yeah. was uh, Hogan? All three of them. How was Hogan, Nash, and Hall towards you? And did you ever see how they were towards others? Did they ever? Do you ever see them throwing their weight around? Because you know what their reputations are. Any chance you could help clear up what oh, yeah. it was like with those guys in the locker room, brother? <laughs> well, yeah. Let me start with Scott. I, I actually met Scott um, years before when, because uh, in the summer of '89, I got a chance to. Uh, you know, I, I kind of was one of the faceless opponents, you know, during the summer of 89, you know, when they were filming at Center Stage. And uh, somewhere along the way, I, I got a chance to meet Scott. And uh, and he was very, very kind to me and um, and, and was very uh, helpful to me, you know, before he became, even before he became Razor Ramon. And, um, uh, you know, so when I, when I ran into Scott again, you know, during the WCW years and the Glacier years, uh, he was always, he was always great. You know, it was always great to me. And, um, I never really knew Kevin that much. So, I mean, we, we, we always, you know, to this day, we always speak in passing and, um, and we're always cordial. I never got a chance to really, um, be around Kevin. Uh, you know, and, and during that time when he was, he came in, you know, they were coming in, he came in from WWF or WWE. Um, you know, of course there was, you know, a lot of things being said. Uh, I, I just, you know, it was, it was, like I said, everybody had their cliques, their groups, and we had our group, which was called the FOP, the Friends of Page, Dallas Page. <laughs> so it was me, Kidman, Disco, Canyon, Vandy, all our group. So, you know, we were kind of in that different clique, and of course, everybody knows the clique that, that Nash was at with, with, with Hall and, and of course with Hogan and, and with X-Pac and who I think is, is awesome. But, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, so I never got a chance to really, during those years, get to, um, uh, you know, to, to really, you know, correspond a lot with, with, with Kevin. But, uh, but I always would, you know, had, uh, like I said, cordial relationship, but I always would, um, would, would, you know, you know, have some conversations with Scott and, and, uh, and, and continue that relationship, that friendship with Scott, uh, you know, years after WCW. Um, Hogan, I, you know, it was always cordial, same thing. Yeah. You know, I never really, um, I didn't run in that circle with him. So, uh, you know, I just, uh, it was always, he was always cordial to me. I was, I certainly was always cordial to him because it was pretty, pretty darn cool. You know, I mean, I came up during that, that era of the eighties, you know, of, of, you know, the Hogan, you know, uh, Hulkamania, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and so, um, uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was always, always had the cordial, you know, conversations with everybody. I will say that, um, one of the things that worked in my favor, uh, early on during my career in WCW was the fact that I, um, just by you know the grace of God, I became I got to know and became friends with Haku, you know, and uh, and man, I tell you what, um, just being uh, you know just being someone who was friends with him, uh, it, it gave me a lot of clout, you know, because those guys all respected Haku, and, uh, and they still do, <laughs> and uh, so that, uh, but um, but that wasn't why I became friends with him. I just we just. Uh, He's a great human being, and uh, and he's someone that I dearly, dearly love, like family, and uh, to this day, and uh, our relationship has grown stronger over the years. But, but yeah, you know, it was just um, 
working with those guys now. I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to say that because, you know, everybody wants to hear the controversial stuff, but, uh, but there, there really wasn't. I mean, they kind of, uh, you know, um, we never, we didn't really cross paths that much because of what I was doing, you know, what our stuff was different than what they were doing. So, you know, we, we, I don't think we were necessarily a threat to anything they were doing, so to speak. And, uh, and we were just trying to be, you know, good company guys back then and, uh, and do our part. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, but it was fun. I mean, listen, it was every, every night we went to work at Monday Nitro and Thursday, you know, Thursday Night Thunder, we were working, you know, everything was sold out. We were wrestling the biggest arenas around and, you know, to be able to have a, uh, you know, a, a, a great seat kind of behind the scenes to watch when those guys went out and, and really study what they did because, you know, uh, people that are fans or not of, of, of Nash and, and, and Scott and Hogan during that era, I mean, these guys, listen, they, they knew what they were doing. They had drawn a lot of money. Uh, and so for me, it was like, okay, watch and learn and take what works for me and then whatever doesn't work okay. But, you know, take, it, take advantage of this opportunity to uh, to learn from guys who have drawn money, and that's what this business is all about. I don't care what anybody says about how much, how many moves you can do, and all that stuff. It's about drawing money. Period. You know, and if you can draw money, great. If you can't draw money, then you're just fooling yourself if you think somehow you're going to have a great career in this business. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and real quick, I want to throw this in: Bruce Lee versus Haku Who wins. Oh, you know, Haku versus anybody. Haku versus anybody. There you go. There's the answer. But, but I will, I will say this. You know, what, the one thing that most people never talk about with uh, with Haku with Tonga is the fact that, uh, and I'm, I know you guys know this, but he literally is one of the kindest, gentlest, biggest-hearted people I've ever known in my entire life. And I, I'm just in and out of wrestling. He is that guy. And, and that's a part that I wish people knew more about him and talked more about is that he is one of the kindest people I've ever met. Um, but he also is that guy that people talk about. And, you know, as far as his reputation to being, I always call, I call him the baddest cat in the jungle, you know, and, but he doesn't have to tell you he's the baddest cat in the jungle. You know, he just, he just is, but he's also, you know, he, he just, he has a heart, you know, the size of Texas and he is just uh, the kindest person that you could ever meet. And I, I feel so truly honored that I've got a chance to, to become friends with him and, and his family. And, um, you know, just like I said, in or out of wrestling, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met. And, uh, and I really, truly feel so blessed to know him. I mean, he's just an amazing, amazing guy. Well, I got to say, Ray, we're truly honored to have you on the show. And we're truly honored to say, thank you for what you've done in the wrestling business. And we look forward to having you on again. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, and your thank family, you guys. Ray. God bless. Oh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Hey guys, I just want to say this is a huge honor for me because it's been a long time coming and I really, really am glad that we finally got a chance to connect because, uh, uh, you know, like I said, Sandy Beach, you know, he thinks the world of you guys and, uh, you know, he's the guy that re- originally connected me to you guys and, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm just, I'm very happy that I finally got a chance to be on the show and hopefully we can do it again soon. We will. And Honored. no one's happier than us. Thanks, Ray. Honored. Merry Christmas. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Glacier. <laughs> Name's Glacier. <laughs> uh, great interview. Yeah. Could have gone like five hours. Yeah, we could have kept going, that's for sure. That's uh, for sure. I just want to wish everybody, first, Bart, again, happy birthday. Bart, man! Glad, See, to, anyway. glad to be part of the family. Yeah, and absolutely. I want to thank the Bart man. Jared. Jared, thank you for your continual efforts on this show, and thank you for, for all you do. You are... By far, 
the best producer, and you're a hell of a human being. So Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And I want to say Merry Christmas to our Monty and the family family. Monty and the family family. Monty and the Farrell family. Monty and the family family. Monty and the Farrell family. The Monty family. And we can name the list, but I want to say thank you oh, all. We hope you have a wonderful Everybody. holidays. Keep Absolutely. your family and be grateful that you're still on this planet, that you, you can spend this time. And I'm grateful to have people like Ray Lloyd come on this this, uh, this thing. And I'm grateful for you, my friend. Happy and Merry Christmas. You too, brother. And, you too. Uh, until Absolutely. Thursday. And what are you getting for Christmas? Do you already know? Dude, you know. You got a I, tree? You got a tree? Dude, I did the tree this year. Okay. And I got, look, I'm, I don't really give myself props, but this year I'm so very proud <clears throat> of the way the tree looks. Really? What'd very you do? Proud. Just looks really nice. Okay. For me, this is a very special Christmas. Little Hulk Hogan right? bobblehead on top? I got a lot of wrestling, uh, like The Rock, Stone Cold. Nice. Got a couple of those. Okay. Jets, Knicks. By the way, the, the, it's, the Jets are over. It's 16 to 3. It's I, can't, over. I can't believe this crap. It's already over. I can't believe this My crap. My father already put put a fork in him. It's over. Oh, your father's right. <laughs> but anyway, you want to say anything to the Monty and the Family family and send us out. You did it again. Don't Monty worry. and the Farrow family family. Send yeah. us out. Well, I can't thank everybody at home enough. For when the chips were down, you guys found us. Yes. You guys have stood by our side. You guys are the reason why we have so much fun doing this is because we can get the responses that we never thought we would ever get as regular people. Yeah. You, you got go. you gotta love it. You guys are our Christmas tree. So very nice. Until well, are we back next week? No, same we're back next time? Thursday, same back channel, same All back right. time. Until next week. This is Monty. This is DeFaro. Merry Christmas. Ho ho ho. Later!